Thanks to Jill and Holly and to Nick for their words about the project we have going on. If you were here last week, we said goodbye to the C building. I told you it wouldn't be here. It's still here. I'm not a prophet. If I were, you could kill me right now because it'd be a false prophecy. But uh, we do have the demolition permit. We got it Friday, Friday afternoon. And so it won't be here next week. I'm pretty sure of that, though I'm not promising anything anymore. So just so you know. Uh, so, but when we said goodbye to it last week, if you were here, you know that this is this space has played a significant role in the lives of many, many people, many of whom are still in our congregation and many of whom are now serving Christ around the world. I baptized my, uh, all my children over there. My oldest daughter serves a missionary in Germany. Uh, people have been shaped here and sent out. This is what we do. And so it's a joy to celebrate what God has done. And now this new building is part of our larger vision to be the presence of Christ in our city. And this space will provide a place uh, in which we can bless and serve our children, youth, both those who attend here and those who don't, uh, and adults as we serve uh, adults with our food bank, with our community meals. And so uh, this will be a very exciting time. The new facility is ADA compliant, which means that we can now share our facilities with other groups who need facilities. Uh, we can partner with our school across the street uh, and, and other organizations. There'll be a kitchen in there. We'll continue our community meals. Everything will be designed to facilitate now, not just the distribution of food, but the facilitating relationship, which is wonderful. So 2016, we turn 100 this year. And uh, so this will be an exciting way to kick off the next 100 years of Bethany Community Church. And this is really our time now to invest in the future. For those of you who have been around a while, you know that we began a permitting process clear back in 2014, it's now 2016. And because of the lengthy permitting process and the construction environment in Seattle, the cost of the facility has increased. And it is still our complete intent to be debt-free in the building of this building. And so on March 13th, we'll receive an offering of pledges and I'm not asking you to give, but I am asking you without apology to pray about how God wants you to participate. And if God wants you to participate, as I fully believe in a church of about 2,000 of us here at Green Lake every uh, Sunday, which means probably about 3,000 of us uh, when we really add it up, I think if all of us prayerfully participate, uh, God will speak to each of us and we'll be able to raise this deficit so that we can build this building debt-free, thus investing ongoing resources in ministry rather than interest. It's a significant moment in the life of our church. Uh, thank you to those of, who have already been giving to the Cascading Initiative, which has started new locations around the city and uh, built the base of the funding for this new facility. And now over the next three weeks, I'm asking you to take home this information to pray about your participation in the work that God is doing here and asking God to show you how he'd like you to participate. We'll receive uh, pledge cards on the 13th of March. There's floor plans in the back, they're in the window. Uh, if you have questions, there's a website. Uh, we, uh, questions can be answered. And so we, we'd love to see everyone praying for this project and praying for your particular participation in this project because I don't want you to miss out on what God wants to show you as you participate. So it's a good, exciting time in our history. We'll be talking about this off and on over the course of the next few weeks as we lead up uh, to Easter. And now we have the scripture reading. Nancy? So as we continue in our worship um, and prepare for the message this morning, I will be reading from Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through, or 4 through 10. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there, and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. This is God's word to us. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much that we can gather within these walls this morning and listen for your voice. And we pray and we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us and that you would shape us both individually and collectively to shine as light in our city, to be people of hope in our city and in our world. Uh, Father, all of us come uh, carrying burdens, no doubt, as well as some joy and hope. Would your Spirit give us interpretation of our own lives? And for those of us who are uh, complacent, would you shake us awake, Father? And for those of us who are uh, zealous and weary, would you give us rest? May your spirit speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Everyone, as we gather and uh, we move now into the fullness of a new year, coming into uh, preparation for Easter, everyone, I would argue, has a, has a vision for their own future. You all have vision for your future. If you're in college, Looking forward to graduating. And if you're married, you have kids and you have hopes for your kids. Uh, if, you're, if you're renting, maybe you want to buy. If you're underemployed, maybe you want to be overemployed. Everybody has a vision, right? And so we all have ideas regarding our future, not only individually, but vision for our church, as we've just heard, and certainly as well. Many of us have hopes for our world. For some in the room, we carry burdens related to human trafficking. Uh, others, the oppression of women. Others, the environment. Others, economic disparity. We all have vision. We all have vision. But <laughs> to move from where we are into the future that God has for us, all of us need the same thing. The single ingredient that allows us to continue to be shaped so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. The single ingredient we all need is the, is the ingredient of faith. We all, everyone needs faith. Everyone, right? Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Without faith, get this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's stunning to me. I, I could have, if I'd have written it, I said, without obedience, without zeal, without love. No. Without faith, impossible to please God. We all need faith. And faith is, we know by, uh, uh, from Hebrews 11, faith, faith is this capacity to live according to an invisible reality. It's the evidence. We're giving evidence to things as the author says, giving evidence to things not seen. And so Abraham asks, uh, uh, excuse me, God asks Abraham uh, to believe God regarding the birth of his yet non-existent child when he's 99 years old. That's an act of faith. 
believing I will father a child when I'm 99 and I have failed my child. It's an act of faith. Moses, hold a stick over the Red Sea, watch it part, holding that stick up, act of faith. Peter, uh, it's, there's a storm, get out of the boat and walk to me, says Jesus. That's an act of faith. All of these things, uh, there's obedience, yes, but they're all acts of faith. And so every Christ follower is asked to demonstrate what Paul calls the obedience of faith. God speaks, there's revelation, and then we respond to revelation. Our response is obedience, but our response is obedience rooted in faith. We believe that what God says is true and appropriate for our lives. And so the question on the table for the next few weeks in this Lenten season is this question, if faith is a muscle, uh, how do we exercise faith to develop it? In other words, how do we develop faith? Every, every, every part of our body that we want to develop, there's a way to develop it, right? You have weak biceps, there's a push-up, literally an app. There's an app for your weak biceps, and you t- you, if your nose touches the phone, it counts push-ups for you. It's a great app. I have that app, by the way. <laughs> and, there, and, and so whatever, like whatever you need to do, there's an exercise, there's a way, your lungs, your cardio. How about faith? Like how do I, like how is faith developed? Question on the table. And uh, when we look at the scriptures, we discover there are specific actions that are tied to the development of faith all through the Bible, three of which we'll look at over the next three weeks or four, uh, and, and we see these embodied particularly in Christ. Christ is the exemplar of faith, right? Like, so we, 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 we see this in Jesus. And so today, we're going to look at the first of these specific actions that exercises faith, and this is it. Faith moves in. Faith settles in. Now, here's what I mean by that. I'm going to read John 1, 14, because Christ is the example of faith settling in. We read in John 1.14, the word, that's Christ, became flesh, and then, uh, here's the phrase, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Another translation, the word became flesh, lived, Christ became flesh, God became a man, lived among us. The message says it this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love, I mean, I love that translation. The word, Christ, moved to the neighborhood, the neighborhood of humanity. That's what Christ did. And this, as we can see throughout the Bible, is always a true characteristic of faith. God is calling us to embody the reality of Christ's presence by settling in and moving to where God places us. God is sending us to places and asking us to be there fully, and not just settle in, but settle in as people on a mission uh, with a capacity to, to bless and serve and love where it is that God has sent us, right? And, and this, is, this is central to building our faith, right? And what's more, this is a vital word. Move in, settle down, be fully present where you are. Vital word in our particular society, 21st century Western uh, United States, because we, particularly in the West, and particularly in the United States, we're hypermobile, hypermobile. We move more than anybody. How many have moved in the last three years? Raise your hand. I bet a third of us have moved in the last three years. That's a lot of people. And if you're a student, then you're like this. Well, I'm just here for now. And because you're, you're kind of, you can be disengaged, right? I'm here for now. You know, I come from Colorado, and it's sunny there, so I'm not settling in. I'm, de- I, you know, I'll buy Gore-Tex, but I'm selling it when I leave because I'm going home. Or, you know, California, wherever you're from. 
We can, we can, we can disengage. Like, like, we're not fully present. And we do that. When we do that, we damage our own faith. It's a hypermobile world we live in. 36 million Americans move every year. And it creates a culture where we really don't know our neighbors and we don't engage in the culture in which we find ourselves. And, and, and so one of the best examples of God's heart of developing our faith by calling us to settle in is found in Jeremiah 29. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, we, we've heard it read already. But let me give you the context of those words from Jeremiah, right? Here's the context. Uh, in 586 BC, the city of Jerusalem, gone, right? Uh, it's called the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonians came in, they destroyed the wall, they destroyed the temple, and then they carried away captive to Babylon, physically removing people from their residences. They, they carried people away to live in and occupy this, uh, Babylon, right? And so people left, they had to leave Jerusalem, and the people that left were the... Anybody who's educated, literate, powerful, anyone with means economically, all, all the intelligentsia, the cultural elite, they're all hauled off. Leaving in Jerusalem, very few people, the people left in Jerusalem, the poor, the indigent, the homeless, uh, uh, the super elderly, and the people with zero sphere of influence, among whom, who's left in Jerusalem? Jeremiah. This kind of nobody prophet, which is ironic since he's the only one we're still talking about 3,000 years later, right? The guy with no influence. We're studying him this morning. But he's left in Jerusalem, and, and, and uh, so everybody else is headed off to Babylon. They're in Babylon, and then a guy named Hananiah shows up in Babylon. He's a false prophet, and if you read Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 2, to th- two through 4, this is what Hananiah is saying, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically this is what he says. Hey, Israel, I know you don't like it here in Babylon, but don't worry about it. Uh, your your captivity is over soon, right? Subtext, no need to get involved in this place where you're presently living because pretty soon God's going to come. He's going to pluck you out. He's going to rescue you. So just hang on and wait. Better days are coming. I know you hate it here. Don't worry about it. It won't be long. Uh, you'll, you'll, You'll be going home, right? And here's the problem. We end up then, when we hear that kind of message, we look forward to a better tomorrow. And if you're a visionary, and Americans are, then, then we, we always begin to say, life begins when? Does that make sense? Life begins as soon as I graduate. That's when life begins. As, oh, oh, and then you graduate, but then you're not married. As soon as I get married, that's when life begins. And you get married, and you're like this. Oh, marriage. Man, as soon as I have children, then I'll have something to do. It'll be fun, right? They're waiting for children. Children come. And then you're really, then you go, soon as that, when is it, 18 years? Is that right? As soon as they're gone, then we live. As soon as we retire, then we live. As soon as we pay off the mortgage, then we give. As soon as, as soon as. And then we're, we wake up dead one morning. You know, always waiting to be present. And, 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 and that's, I mean, Hananiah says, Wait. No worries. Better days tomorrow, right? And this was, I mean, this was a, boy, this was good news for Israel. Put a smile on his. You know why? Because they hated the Babylonians and they hated the culture. I mean, they have idols. We don't. They don't worship Jehovah. We do. They're violent. We're, I'm putting quotes, peace-loving. They're unjust, and I put in quotes, we're just, Right? 
I mean, we're the good guys here. We're the bad guys. And so, you know, thank the Lord. We don't have to engage with the bad guy. We'll just wait. Pretty soon we get to go home. And so in the meantime, then uh, Israel just, they, they would meet among themselves. They'd eat together. They'd worship together. They, 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 they lived in their own uh, community, but it was really a ghetto. <laughs> of their own choosing and making, we put walls around because we feel, you know, marginalized, right? So we're just waiting because we don't like it here. We're waiting to leave. That happens. I mean, if you, if you were all this way, you're not, but if you're all you're Californians who were sent into exile into Seattle, that would be awful for some of you, right? Because you'd be like this. It's raining every day. Every, every day it's raining. Why, I, I hate this. Where's the sunshine, you know? And why is there mold in my windows? And why does everybody drink coffee? And what's wrong with this baseball team? How come they never win? And, you know, you don't like anything about the place. And you're ready. To, so you want to go home. And if, you know, what happens when somebody comes to you and say, hey, you know, better days. Right around the corner. You know, Amazon's settling in Hollywood. So pack your bags. You're moving. Oh, finally. Thank the Lord. No, wait a minute. This is what Jeremiah hears. He hears this as soon as language, and it's disengagement. And he knows it, and he names it. So what Jeremiah does is he gives us three critical exhortations from this text that will enable us to live joyfully right where we are. And this, I just say it, it should be evident, this is the only day you have. There's no promise for tomorrow. This is your day to be a blessing. This is your day to serve. This is your day to give thanks. This is your day. This is your day. So what does Jeremiah say? It's people in exile. He gets, he gets word of Hananiah's word via a letter. He's back in Jerusalem. He writes a letter back. And so Jeremiah 29, this, this is what he says. Uh, um, he goes, thus says the Lord. So it's, it's not Jeremiah's opinion. He's, this is from God. Thus says the Lord. Uh, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. In other words, the Babylonians didn't do this to you. God's saying, I sent you here. Look, uh, I sent you to Seattle. I sent you to uh, your employment. I sent you to singleness. Where you are, (laughs) I sent you there. So here's the word. For those whom I have sent into Babylon. Watch this. You think you're going to be there two years. That's what Hananiah said. This is what he says. In Babylon, build houses and live in them. Oh, oh. Now that means, that takes a while. Especially if there's a permitting process. <laughs> like it, that's two years right there, right? And then there's, you know, neighbors and appeals. and Yeah, build a house, live in it. And then, t- ooh, watch this. Get married there in Babylon. No, no, I, you know, I was like, you know, I wanted a wedding in the temple. Nope, not you. Get married in Babylon. Take wives. No, and watch this. Take wives for your sons. What? I'm still in Babylon. Get married, have children, and watch them get married in Babylon? You, and the clock is ticking now in your mind, right? You're going, oh, oh, oh. It's, uh, yeah. Now what does he say? Don't you love this? Plant gardens and eat their produce. And this is, I mean, produce here is not just, not just vegetables, but fruit. Like if you plant an apple tree, if you plant an apple tree, 
you don't get apples right away. I know this. We've lived in a few places, and we've all, wherever we've lived and we owned the land, we planted apple trees, right? And so we would plant an apple tree, and then, we would, then we'd move, and then there'd be apples the next year. We, we've never eaten an apple from a tree we've planted ever. <laughs> we'd plant a tree, leave, and then somebody else enjoys the fruit. Now, that can be a positive sermon illustration in a different setting, but in the moment... When we moved to Seattle here, uh, uh, I wanted to plant an apple tree in the front yard, and Donna said, I forbid it. And I go, why? Oh, she says, because here's what will happen. We plant an apple tree, and we're going we're to move in two years. And I'm not, I don't want to move. <laughs> so no apple trees, right? So what's he saying? Plant your apple tree and enjoy the pro- Eat it. Eat the produce. In other words, settle in. That, I mean, that's what he's saying. Settle in, <clears throat> even if your current situation isn't exactly according to your liking. This applies to all kinds of things, but it particularly applies to people who live in cities. And here's why. Cities are so fragmented, a place where all kinds of worldviews collide. I promise you this, just about everyone who lives in a city feels like they're in some kind of a minority. Every, I mean, we, that can be overblown and undone, and I understand that, but, but Christians feel like they're in a minority, and, and, and there are people, uh, because of their sexuality, who feel like they're in a minority. People, uh, there's racial minority. There's economic minority. There's minority. Everybody feels like they're on the margins, right? And so if you feel like you're, you're on the outside, and in particular here, this is what was happening for Israel. They, they, they felt like they were on the outside because they lived in Babylon, and Babylon was filled with idolatry. All kinds of idols displacing God as the source of meaning, direction, security. Instead of peace, there was violence. Instead of safety and security, there was oppression, right? Instead of monotheism, it was polytheism. And so they felt like this is not our home, and they, and they disengaged. There's two ways to disengage. Some people disengage via despair, and some people disengage via consumerism. And, and let me just explain how some people disengage. For some, the temptation to disengage comes from this vastly different worldview, and then we're like this. The, man, the world out there is bad, so we need to stick together. We Christians need to stick together. And then we, we disengage by building walls around our culture. And so uh, we send our kids to Christian school, and we listen to Christian music, and we go to Christian dentist, and we go to, you know, Bible studies, and we have a Christian sports league where nobody swears, and we listen to Christian radio, and, and, and it's everything. And so we're, we're, we're surrounding ourselves in this self-referential community with people who think like us. That's exactly what Israel did when they were in Babylon. They, they, they ghettoized themselves in a sense, right? And I'll, I'll just say it's a temptation. It's a to- I get it. When we moved to Los Angeles, my wife and I felt utterly foreign to where we lived, and it started immediately. We, the first day we moved to Los Angeles, I walked into a bank and I was carrying a denim briefcase and there was a guy robbing banks and the only information I had about him was he had a denim briefcase. And so the poor woman thinks that I'm a bank robber and I'm, so I sit down at the desk and I go, I open an account and she's so nervous. And I'm thinking, man, this is not a friendly city. What's wrong with these people? You know, and she's got her finger on the button and she's, you know, she's, she's filling out the thing. And then finally, when I write, you know, I write a check to make a deposit, she goes, oh, thank the Lord you're not a bank robber. And I go, is this how you greet everyone who moves to Los Angeles? I mean, this is ridiculous. And, and it felt from the beginning for us adversarial. Our car was stolen. 
Um, uh, our second car uh, was destroyed by a mechanic, right? Uh, and then our neighbor, who's 80 years old, somebody broke into her apartment and took all her stuff. My wife is walking home from work one day. Two kids on bicycles try and steal her purse. They're, they flank her. They try, and, they try and take her purse. And she grabs her purse and she whacks one of them. <laughs> and they're just little, like 12-year-old kids. And she says, you got to go home to your mom, right? And, she come, and Donna comes home and says, what are we doing here? You ever, you ever feel that way? Like, the world in which I live is insane. And then the temptation is to disengage. And so the challenge for this disengaged group, uh, disengaging via despair, is every, everyone out there is an adversary. The cup's half empty. And so, so because we're afraid, we just gather with people who are like us. And our world shrinks in that setting. Our world shrinks. There's a good word from God for those who feel like exiles, geographically, emotionally, circumstantially. And this is what God says to Jeremiah. Look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to live as if you're not going anywhere because you're not going anywhere. I mean, if you're going to be obedient to my calling, you're going to stay. And watch this. If you stay, we're going to pay attention. If you begin to pay attention, you'll engage in the place in which you live. And if you engage in the place you live, then, then you'll build relationships. And slowly, because I live in you, I will begin to bless those around you. That's the way I do things. This is Jesus talking. If you're Joseph and you're in prison, I'll bless the prison because of you. If you're in Potiphar's house, I'll bless Potiphar because of you. If you're Paul and you're on a ship, I'll bless that ship because of you. Where, look, wherever you are, be there and recognize that because Christ lives in you, you have the capacity to be a blessing right where you are. <laughs> so be all there. Begin to care about everything. I mean, so, I mean I've lived in Seattle 20 years. I'm thinking about, man, have I been engaged in the city? Yes. I've been to the symphony, I've been to the triple door, I've been to the tractor tavern, I've been to the, I've, been to the, I've even been to the mariners, I've been to the Seahawks, I've been to the, 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 the Sounders, I've been to Bagley PTA meetings, even though my kids didn't go to school there, I've been to the PTA meetings because Bagley's my neighbor, right? I, I've, I've been to block parties, I've been to the concerned Aurora neighbors as homelessness and prostitution and drug trafficking was increasing here. Finney Neighborhood Center, Ballard High School, New Horizons, teen homelessness. This is your city. Be here. <laughs> so some, some are disengaged by despair and then we withdraw into this tiny little world of people who think like us. Don't do that. Jeremiah is saying, look, you're in exile, fine. Be a blessing in exile. And then the, uh, there's another group that disengages in a different way. It's disengagement via consumerism. And here's what I mean by that. <laughs> Some people view the city as a resource to be harvested. And so, you know, we parachute in to get what we want, and we, and we want to leave. They look more engaged than their fear-based counterparts. But in reality, for many, the city is just a place to be enjoyed until I get what I want, and then I leave. Tim Keller, who is a pastor in New York City, he, he applies this. Uh, with this quote, I'm quoting him directly now, this is what he says. We've seen that cities attract young professionals by providing something of a theme park with thousands of entertainment and cultural options 
and many new urban residents tend to view the city simply as a place where they can have fun, develop, develop a resume, gain some wealth, make friends who will be help to them in the future, and their, their plan is to do this for a few years and then leave. I'm here for my education, I'm here for my career, I'm here to make some money, and I'm going to get out. In other words, they're using the city rather than living in it in the way that Jesus tells us to live in the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm here not to gain, but I'm here to serve. Does this make sense? That's why God places us here. And, and, and this is even actually a more insidious form of disengagement than fear-based withdrawal. And it's a form to which we, in an upwardly mobile, highly educated uh, congregation like, like Bethany, particularly Green Lake, <laughs> We're, we're susceptible to harvesting the city. Oh, and, you know, the, we who harvest the city, we love the shiny things in the city. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, we love, we love, the, we love the symphony. It's world class. We love, we love the music in the city. We love the coffee in the city. We love the Mariners. Well, we don't love the Mariners. We love the Seahawks. We love, we, 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 there's a lot that we love, right? And then, there's a, but here's the thing. That's the shiny part of the city. And this city as well is homelessness, is racism, is, is income inequality, is disparity, right? Is, is, is people being forced out of the city, is, is heroin addiction, is meth addiction, is prostitution, is mental illness, is domestic violence. That's our city. And if all you see are the shiny things and you turn ahead away from the need, you're not engaging in the, in the Jeremiah 29 fashion. No, oh, no. You're here to bless. You're here to, to, to embody hope. Urban theorist Mark Mitchell, this is what he says. He's not a believer, but listen to what he says. Ultimately, healthy communities will only be realized, not with programs, but when individuals commit to a particular place and particular neighbors in a long-term work of making that place, recognizing and enjoying the responsibilities and pleasures of membership in a local community, these good things are not the unique provenance of agrarian rural settings. They can and must be achieved in urban settings. In other words, know your neighbors. Go to your block party. Love your public school. We're called to do that. Years ago, Bagley was slated for closure in Seattle Public Schools. And so the principal approached us here at Bethany and asked if we would help try and keep Bagley open. And so we worked with the PTA and the staff at Bagley to keep this wonderful school open. And they were removed from the list of uh, slated closures. And so then they had a big celebration meeting over here at Bagley. And I was invited to the celebration meeting. And when I was introduced, the parents gave you, Bethany, a standing ovation. And I love to see partnerships between churches and public institutions. Because here's the thing, we exist to bless the city in which we find ourselves. So we're called to be here completely. That brings me to the second point here, faith seeks to bless. Look at chapter 29 of Jeremiah, verse 7. It says here, seek the welfare of the city uh, where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Two commands, seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf. They're commands, they're not invitations, not optional. We're called to seek the welfare of the city in which we live. In other words, God's desire is to bless Babylon. Listen to this. 
God's desire is to bless Babylon through the presence of God's people being there. Now, this is amazing. If you go back and you read the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is this prophet who, prior to the Babylonian invasion, uh, saw it coming. It's like you could, you're, you know, you, sometimes you look at the political landscape, you look, at the, you look out there politically in the future, and you see a dis, an impending disaster, right? I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it happens sometimes, right? And so, I mean, you're looking out there and you go, man, what's, what's happening? The Babylonians are coming towards us. And so Habakkuk complains to God. He says, how can, how can they, like God, how are you, why are they attacking us? We're the good guys. And, and, and uh, God's word to Habakkuk is, you just wait. They're going to attack and they're going to destroy Jerusalem, and you're going to be taken captive, and I'm still in control. And then Jeremiah comes along uh, decades later and says, in Babylon, I want you, Israel, to bless the Babylonians. Why? Because God so loved the faithful that he gave his only son. Is that what the Bible says? No. God so loved what? Anyone? God so loved the world. God so loved the world. The whole world. God loves uh, those who worship idols. God loves those who are uh, horrifically materialistic, those addicted to power, those addicted to greed, those on the margins, those marginalized for their sexuality. God loves everybody. And if God loves everybody and God has sent you to be the presence of God in a community, then your calling is to love everyone. So go into Babylon, and, and yes, they're idol worshipers. Yes, they're vital, uh, violent. Yes, they're greedy. Yes, they're materialistic. Go. Love your neighbor. And find ways to bless your neighbor. That's what God did through Joseph in exile. That's what God did through Nehemiah as he blesses the Persian king. That's how God uses the early Christians to bless Rome in the midst of the plague as they go in and start the hospice movement. We are called to be the presence of Christ, and according to Christ, God shares good gifts with all of humanity. Why? Romans 2, it's God's kindness that's intended to lead us to repentance. In fact, when Jesus says this, uh, hey, uh, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, when Jesus says that, he's not using rain pejoratively. I want you to know that as Seattleites. Like rain there is what? A blessing. What he says is, hey, uh, I mean, the disciples wanted to destroy this village because they didn't receive the gospel. And then, you know, here's Jesus. Oh, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. What does that mean? Well, who does God bless? Like when it rains, who gets to enjoy the rain? Buddhists and ISIS and people with gobs of credit card debt and people addicted to meth and Christians we all enjoy the sunrise. We all enjoy the rain. We all care about the infrastructure of our city. Clean water, Duwamish, Elliott Bay. Or we should care. <laughs> because God's gifts of beauty and justice and healing and intervention for the oppressed are what make the life of Christ real in our city. We're called to be the presence of Christ in the city. Our failures to live this stem from a misunderstanding of dual citizenship. Paul says in Philippians 3.20 uh, that uh, his, our citizenship is in heaven, and this can create a sense of disengagement, right? 
And when this is taken alone, all my citizenship is in heaven, then, then it's tempting to uh, put all my eggs in like this spiritual basket, not this physical basket, this heavenly basket, not this earthly basket. But Paul actually doesn't do that. When Paul, wherever Paul is, he's fully present there, engaged there. When Paul's in a Roman prison, he seeks to bless the Roman prison. When Paul is in Athens, even just because he's waiting for friends, he's engaged in Athens, learning the culture so that he can speak to the culture on Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17. We have this eternal citizenship, but we're called to be in this world in order to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God so that we can be a blessing to our neighbors. Paul appeals to his Roman citizenship when being tried because he doesn't see himself only as a citizen of heaven, but as a citizen of heaven and a citizen of Rome. And you, by the way, are a citizen of Seattle, or at least a citizen of Puget Sound. And, and here's the word. If, if you have a mission here, if, if you live here, Jesus is calling you to be in the place he's put you. Not to adopt the values of the place, but to be in the place, to be a blessing. In the end, Christians live not only to increase the prosperity of our own tribe and group through power, uh, we live, excuse me, not to increase the prosperity of our tribe through power, plays, and coercion. We live to serve the good of all people in the city, regardless of what beliefs they hold. Secularism tends to make people individualistic, Traditional religion makes people tribal. Christ's way is sacrificial service that benefits the whole city. We're intended to be people who are benefiting the whole city. And this is a huge part of why we're building a new facility right next door. So that we can be the presence of Christ by providing community meals, providing food and relationship for hungry neighbors, uh, providing uh, uh, ministry to children both in, inside our congregation and beyond the walls of our congregation this is our this is our hope our dream to be able to bless our city with the presence of christ so we we, we're called to bless and to pray for the well-being of the city why do we pray because of the third thing faith sees and subverts and here's the deal pray to the lord on the behalf of the city why for in its welfare you have welfare isn't that amazing so in other words i'm to pray these are my babylon's my enemy they conquered me. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to pray for the well-being of Babylon. Why? Because in Babylon's well-being is my well-being. So pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray the blessing and shalom on the place you live. It's very simple. Pray for a blessing on the place you live. Every time I drive into Seattle now, I've got this habit of, of I mean, you look at the city, and it's a beautiful city. As I drive in, I pray for Christ's shalom on the city. And often God will bring to mind a particular issue to pray over. Pray for, praying for shalom, particularly for those uh, in a new homeless settlement in Ballard. Particularly for those who receive our community meal. Particularly for those who work with our partner, the Aurora Commons. Particularly uh, for the issue of racism in Seattle. Whatever is the issue, we can pray for shalom and then work for shalom. Why? Because we're in this together, because the well-being of the city is our well-being. <laughs> we can't isolate. We are the city. The city is us. And uh, when we come to know the city, when we really see it, we learn how to live in the city well. Most American evangelical churches, Tim Keller writes this, are middle class in their, in their culture, they value privacy, safety, predictability, space, order, control. That is not a city. <laughs> that's, not the city that's not what cities are. 
In contrast, the city is filled with the ironic, edgy, diversity-loving. People have a high tolerance for ambiguity and disorder. Did you hear that? The city. People have a high tolerance for ambiguity and disorder. City people appreciate sophistication in communication and yet eschew slickness and hike, uh, hype and excessive polish. And, and, and so to strike the nuanced balance, being excellent while still being authentic, Keller says that's not, it cannot be a matter of performance. It only happens if you know the city. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, look, you're going to fully live in a place. The way you embody the place is to, is to so live in it that you start to become it. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to any of you? Here's true confession. I didn't drink coffee till I moved to Seattle. I didn't drink any coffee, ever. I didn't want to. And I moved here, and it's just all I would hear for three years. Hey, want to get together for coffee? And I got tired of saying no. I only drink tea, and I get to drink coffee. Now it's my favorite beverage, right? But when you move in, you move in, and you're, and, you're, and you're here. You're not leaving. I wrote a bit about this for Fuller Seminary recently, whereby I said, look, if, like if you're a pastor or a citizen of this city, and you haven't been to a concert or a sporting event, or you don't go to the theater, <clears throat> or you've never been to a meeting with your neighbors, then you're not really part of the city. I mean, you're living here, but you're not here. Our calling is to be the presence of Christ right where we are. Right where we are. And you're here. Some of you are here for college and you're like this. I'm gone in two years, so I'm not here. You're here. You're here now. Others of you have been here a long time and you wish you weren't here. You're here too. And we're here. And this, so this is our moment to bless our city for, for as long as God has us here. There's, there's these two letters, O-E, O-E or O-E. Every day, every moment is either an opportunity to be enjoyed or an obligation to be endured. And what it happened for Israel is Babylon became an obligation to be endured. Oh yeah, we're here, but we hate it here. And if that's you this morning, can I just say you're missing your calling. Your faith is truncated because you are waiting to begin living until you leave. But where your faith will be formed is right here. Yeah, but I'm in exile, precisely. <laughs> That's where God changes you. So as we close in worship, I invite you to pray for our city. Just take a moment, uh, even while we're singing, and just offer a prayer. If there's folks up here, you want to pray with them. If you want to write in our journals, maybe you pray for a particular people group. Maybe you pray for racism or, or the people who use our meals or people who will come into this building. Pray for our city as we worship. And, and then I'll benedict and send you out into our city to be people of hope because this is where you are. Father, uh, speak to us now about building our faith by allowing us to just breathe deep and settle in right here today to be the presence of Christ. We pray in your name.